going to read now from Nehemiah chapter 8, found on page 491. Nehemiah had just returned to Jerusalem from exile in uh, Persia. He'd been commissioned by the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes, to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of the city. He had done this, and then he and Ezra teamed up to call all the people together to hear the law of the Lord read. And that's where we take up the story in Nehemiah 8. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the law had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattithiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and all on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkajah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our God. 
Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim the word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country, bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees, to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua son of Nun until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Thanks, Bob. Good evening, everybody. This evening, we're talking about joy. And if you um, Google who's the happiest man on earth, a man called Mathieu Ricard will pop up. And uh, he says this, like a marathon runner who needs to train before he or she can run 26.2 miles, people who want to be happier need to train their minds. Mathieu is 69 years old, originally from France, but he's become a Tibetan monk. And by meditating, sometimes for entire days, 12 hours at a time, he can fill his mind with happy, happiness and has earned this title, the world's happiest man. Um, so what's his advice on how to be happy? Well, he recognizes that we all spend too much time thinking about me, me, me. He thinks the kind of hamster wheel of always trying to make things better for ourselves is stressful, exhausting, and ultimately doomed to unhappiness. Rather, his advice on how to be happy is to fill our minds with compassion. Think happy thoughts of benevolence towards others, um, solidarity with others, and love for others. Train our minds to do so, and then we will be happy. He's probably right about 
happiness increasing when we shift our focus away from ourselves and towards others. But it's a shame that he felt the need to isolate himself in order to do so. There he sits on top of a mountain in the wilderness for days on end, thinking of others alone. It is ironic, isn't it? Our creator God's intention for human happiness is somewhat similar to the Tibetan monks in that it's, it's not self-focused, it's others-focused, but of course it is different because the joy of the Lord thrives not alone but in community. You see, we often ask the question, how can I be happy? Whereas I think a more biblical question would be, how can we be happy? Of course, our loving Father cares about individual happiness, but more often than not in the Bible particularly, happiness is a team sport. And that's what we heard in the reading just now from Nehemiah chapter 8. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah describe God's building project, his grand design. They're about rebuilding the centerpieces of God's kingdom, the temple, the walls, the gates, and the community itself. And for us today, Ezra and Nehemiah teach us about how to rebuild um, God's new building project, his new grand design, brick after brick, the church. Chapter 8 is about rebuilding joyful community, joyful community. I'll read verses 9 to 12 again. And imagine what it would be like to be part of that community in the newly rebuilt Jerusalem that day. Verses 9 to 12. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. That sounds like a community I want to be a part of. No more tears, the best food and drinks, sharing with those who are in need, a special day for the Lord celebrated with great joy. That's what we want in our friendships. That's what we want in our families. That's what we want in our church. Now, there are days where we should be mourning and grieving together. There are. There's a time for grieving. There's a time for weeping. There's a time where we just say, forget the mask, I need to be open with my brothers and sisters, I'm struggling. If you're in that time now, your tears are very much welcome here. Grief and sadness have their place, but the architect's blueprint has joy all over it. Joy is the finished design. Joy is what's being built, even if it takes blood, sweat and tears to get there. I think we've had some really joyful days at Christchurch Banstead. Baptism Sundays are always filled with joy. Um, Easter Sunday with all the balloons and the glorious singing, new life in Jesus. That's a wonderfully joyful day. Narnia last year with 300, 400 people coming through the doors with their, their mouths just dropping open. 
But how can we get more of that? How can we be an even more joyful community? There are three steps in Nehemiah chapter 8 to building a joyful community. Here's the first one. Bring out the book. I'll read verses 1 to 3. And um, tell me if you would start your Christmas party this way. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gates. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. It starts with all the people. Now, so far in the story of Nehemiah, one of the big problems is that none of the people wanted to live in Jerusalem. While the rubble was still being cleared and while the walls were still being rebuilt, it was far too dangerous. The city was too much of a target for enemies and there was nothing to protect them. So most of the people were spread out in the sparsely populated countryside all around. However, now all the people have gathered together now that the walls are finished and they're together as one in a very public open square in the city. And twice, in verse 2 and in verse 3, we're told that this included men and women and all who could understand. So maybe let's guess 5 through to 105. They're all together as one. And then the crowd starts chanting, bring the book, bring the book, bring the book. They're telling Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. And bear in mind, I stole that chant from Dan, by the way. He preached this about three years ago, um, so blame him. Um, bear in mind that this book of the law refers to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So it's a big book or a, a very long scroll rolling all the way out to the front doors. And Ezra reads from daybreak all the way through to noon. That's six hours, maybe. Um, I don't think you can re have read all the way through those five books, because the average reader would take 14 hours to, to read that. So even if he was doing it auctioneer style, I don't think he would have got the whole thing done. But he might have just picked out one particular section that he was focusing on. Um, but he reads aloud for all the people to hear all morning. And see how they respond in verse 3. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. This was the first step to building their joyful community. And the same is true for us today. Maybe you've got big ideas, uh, for a strat uh, big ideas about how we could really bring people together. Or maybe you're searching for a strategy to revitalize your children's group or um, your ministry team. Maybe you're feeling helpless because those close to you just seem like a million miles away from joy. Or maybe you yourself feel a million miles from joy. Bring the book. Bring the book. Bring the book. Other team building, fun, loving initiatives are of course welcome. But bringing the book is what will get the job done. 
This is the first necessary step in building joy. Whatever our age, wherever we're from, getting together to hear the Bible. These are God's words. Now, here's the second step to building joyful community. Help others to understand the book or help people to understand the book. The logistics of this worship service here in Nehemiah chapter 8 are a little bit confusing. But verses 4 to 8 clearly show that Ezra and Nehemiah want to help people understand the scriptures. And they've thought through helpful practicalities, helpful worship, and helpful teaching, all with that aim in mind of helping people to understand. So firstly, helpful practicalities. Verse 4 shows us that a really high wooden platform has been built, especially for the occasion. Um, As Ezra and Nehemiah were planning this day, one of them must have suggested that it really would be quite a good thing if all the people could see the person who's reading the law. So they put this scaffolding up, and verse 5 says that all the people could see him, uh, Ezra, because he was standing above them. It's a very practical way to help people understand the scriptures. And we uh, here today in Christchurch Banstead would find it so hard to understand the scriptures if we ignored practicalities. Um, That's why our audio and visual team are so valuable. Thank you very much, guys. Um, Without them, we'd find it very hard to understand the scriptures because you wouldn't hear a word that I was saying, um, either because my voice isn't loud enough or because I'm shouting and then I lose my voice. Um, This is why ministries like putting out chairs and looking after and maintaining the building are really valuable ministries. It gives us a place where we can understand the Bible. Helpful practicalities. It's important. Helpful worship as well. Um, You might notice in these verses that Ezra is helped by two groups of people with very easy-to-pronounce names. Ish. Um, There are 13 people stood up on the platform with him. And it's not immediately obvious what they're there for. But they must have been there for some reason. I suppose they could have been holding the heavy, long scrolls that Ezra was reading from. But it seems to me like they were service leaders communicating to the people what to do next. Um, That would fit with the the coordinated actions of the people that follow next Um, in, what verse are we in there? In verse 5, so you have the list of the 13 people on the platform in verse 4, and then in verse 5 starts some very coordinated worship practices. Um, so Ezra reads, and the people follow the actions and words of the 13 people on the platform. Um, in verse 5, they all stand up when God's word is read. Um, that's a mark of respect. In verse 6, they all lift their hands and respond to God's word. Amen, amen, let it be, let it be. Then they all bow down to the ground and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. If these 13 are the ones uh, directing these actions, directing these words, they're helping people understand that the reading of the Bible is weighty, wonderful, 
and an act of worship. We're never going to understand the Bible if we ignore the worship. We could have the most exegetically accurate um, scholarly talks in this place by the most intelligent PhDs and eggheads around, but if we aren't responding with respect, praise, with bowing in worship, then we really haven't understood the Bible at all. This attitude of worship is something that we can all lead in, whether you're at the front or sitting in the seats. I'm not saying that everyone has to stand when the Bible's being read or lift hands or say, say loud amens or bow, but if you want to, please feel free to do so. Um, of course, many of us are reserved Brits who um, don't particularly show what's going on inside, so I don't know, maybe you do have a deep sense of awe and praise and would just rather not express it. Um, I suppose that's fine. But a preacher might love to hear a loud amen. Or uh, it might be helpful to those around you if you turn up the volume of your singing or lift a hand in praise. And maybe bowing in reverential prayer would be a wonderful witness to your family around you. Our worship can be helpful. And Ezra and Nehemiah thought through helpful teaching as well. Um, there's another group of people assisting Ezra. These are the 12 Levites listed in verse 7. Their purpose is clearer, even if, again, the exact logistics of what they're doing sort of open to interpretation. The verses say, they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And their job seems to be happening during that six-hour worship service. This isn't something that happens afterwards. Um, so maybe Ezra is pausing for a bit and then allowing people to break into very large discussion groups with um, these Levites. Um, Ezra is reading, but the Levites are instructing, translating, and giving the meaning of what has just been read. And they're doing this so that the people can understand. Now, of course, we're only ever going to understand the Bible if we value teaching. Teaching that doesn't just stay in 500 BC Jerusalem, but prophetically instructs us in day-to-day -day ordinary life of 21st century Banstead. Teaching that doesn't hide behind religious jargon and cliches, but is translated into the straightforward language of normal people today. Um, teaching that doesn't delight in vague philosophical mysteries, but is clear and plain for every single person present, whatever age, to understand. This is what God says. End of story. Straightforward. Plain. Clear. When we talk about teaching, our first thought is, is often preachers, but we've got so many wonderful teachers in this church, in our kids' groups, in our small groups, in our group for older folks as well. They're gifted, imaginative, interesting, but that's not what makes them great teachers. 
The best are the best because they care about people understanding God's word, simply helping others understand the book. To rebuild a joyful community, it's not enough simply to bring out the book. We need to help people understand it. We need practicalities, worship, and teaching that help us understand what's been read. This is what leads to joy. As we read in verse 12, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy. Why? Because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Now, here's the last step to building joyful community. Celebrate the message of the book. Celebrate the message of the book. It's rather interesting, I think, that a chapter that I'm saying is all about joy has an awful lot of weeping in it. Verse 9 says, all the people were weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They're in the middle of of praising their great gods and bowing in reverent worship. But as they hear what their God requires of them, they are cut to the heart. They just don't measure up. And so that, that lump rises in their throats and those hot tears trace down their cheeks but the greatest of joys are on the other side of the tears of repentance. Verse 13 says that on the next day, the day after this whole morning worship service, many people gather again. Clearly six hours wasn't enough. So once again, they gather around Ezra to pay attention to what God is saying in the book. And they discover that in the seventh month of the year, the whole community is meant to be having a festival. So the heads of the families, the Levites and the priests, they all go and spread the word, we need to have a festival. And everyone goes out into the hills all around Jerusalem and they collect branches from different trees and they um, take them back to their homes and uh, everyone gathers what they've found. And on top of their homes, they build a den, Um, lots and lots of different dens, one for each house, which sounds just great fun. Like, I love all those survival programs like The Island with Bear Grylls or a new one called Alone, where they have to find their own food and water and build their own shelter to survive. Love it. It sounds really great. Everyone is building their own den. And they stay in it, this temporary shelter, for seven days. Now, this is the Festival of Booths, and it was a way for God's people to remember their exodus from Egypt. They built these dens out of branches because their ancestors, too, once lived in very temporary dwellings as they were on their way to the promised land. And they celebrated because this was all about remembering God's rescue. It's rather interesting that verse 17 says, The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters. It's possibly a hint that something similar to the Exodus has happened again. As God rescued their ancestors from Egypt, so God is is rescuing them from Babylon. So all the people celebrated like never before, we read. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, 
the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. This rescue is what turns their tears into shouts of joy. No, they do not measure up to what God requires of them, but he rescues them anyway. And in celebrating this, God's grand design seems right on track. The joyful community is rebuilt. And for our joyful community to be built and to thrive, we must celebrate the message of the book. Rescue. You don't measure up. You don't. No matter how many Disney movies have told you that you are enough, that you're perfect the way you are, you're just not. You've broken God's law and deserve his judgment. But God decided to rescue you anyway. God still loves you. And the message of this chapter is that a joyful community doesn't only believe that message, a joyful community celebrates that message. Now, I know that observing Christmas is not commanded in Scripture. That's not a festival that you'll find in the pages of the Bible uh, commanded in that way. But it is an excellent excuse for celebrating the message of the book, for celebrating God's rescue. We might not build dens out of branches in December, but there are plenty of traditions that can fill our minds with the realities of God's rescue uh, as we remember Jesus coming to rescue us from sin. Um, Let me give you five tips for celebrating the message of the book this Christmas. Tip number one, read. Um, Get a copy of Comfort and Joy that Lane recommended um, earlier. Just one pound in the foyer, comfort-filled Christmassy thoughts every single day of December, going through Isaiah 40 to 54. Each reading fits on just two pages, so you could open it in the morning and read it with your family or read it with a friend, um, and it's, it's really good. I've started reading it already, um, and I probably will start again on the 1st of December. Um, tip one is read. Tip two is pray. Put December the 7th in your diaries. If you don't usually come to a prayer gathering, this one is a really good one to make it your first prayer gathering that you come to. As the month of Advent begins, it's wonderful to be together, to talk to Father God about everything that's going to be happening during this month of December. Um, Three, gather. Speaking of gathering, make the most of every opportunity to be together over the next month. That could be meetings or in homes, that could be worship or it could be hospitality. As the month of Advent, Advent begins, it's wonderful to be together with our brothers and sisters celebrating the rescue, not alone, but as one big family of saved people. Read, pray, gather. Fourth one is serve. Um, This might mean offering your Christmas tree, as we were encouraged earlier. Offer your artificial tree, bring it along on uh, the dates that Gaynor mentioned. I think it was the 28th. Um, Or turning up to an event with an attitude of service. I'm going to be here and I'm going to ask, is there anything I can help with? Or I'm going to look out for the new people and think, oh, can I introduce myself to them and start a good conversation about the gospel? Read, pray, gather, serve, invite. The last one, a fairly recent survey in the UK. I say fairly recent. It was 10 years ago. 
um, but I, th I think the same is sort of true today, showed that 80% of people would come to a carol service if they were invited by a friend or family member. 80%. And even if in the last 10 years that's dropped to 60%, that's still very, very high. So put December 17th in your diaries. Our carols by candlelight service, 6.15 in the afternoon, in the evening that day. A wonderful invite, a chance for people to hear the good news of Jesus. As we read, pray, gather, serve, and invite, we celebrate the message of the book. We celebrate our rescue. We celebrate our Savior coming to save us from sin. What a great way of building joyful community. And allow me to finish with one final thought. Building joy is no small thing. It is not light. Joy is not frivolous. It's not an optional extra that we can do without. Nehemiah told the people in verse 10, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They were a small people in a small city surrounded by hostile enemies, it would be easy for them to lose heart and give up on God's grand design, turning their back on the rebuild. But it is the joy of the Lord that will keep them strong. It is the joy of the Lord that will keep them going. It is the joy of the Lord that will keep them committed to God's grand design, whatever setbacks may come. Us too. Pursue joy. Celebrate the message. Bring out the book. Help people understand it. That will be your strength when there are hostile enemies and hard times around you. Let's pray. Father God, we, we bring our, our griefs and our tears before you and thank you that they are so welcome in your presence. Father, we, we pray that even through those tears, even through those griefs, you would spark joy in us. Maybe not in our circumstances, but yes, in the rescue of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we would be a joyful community. We pray that in the coming month, the coming of Jesus would thrill our hearts. We pray that as we bring out the book, as we seek to help others understand the book, and as we celebrate this rescue, that we would be the joyful community that you have called us to be. Please help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen.